0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode has been brought to you by Magnus Design.
2: This week on Meat and 3, we're looking at factors that will shape our food world in 2019. We start with trend predictions and how media covers them.
3: A website could theoretically devote all their coverage to these viral trends and, and get all sorts of hits. That's not a way to build sustainable readerships, just as it's not a way to build you know, sustainable restaurants.
2: We report on a big change coming and how street meat will be served. On January 1st, a ban on plastic foam went into effect in New York City. And we round out the episode with a story about using gene editing to create the spicy tomato of the future. At first, it sounds like a, like a gimmick or like something that you would do for fun. The truth is, there is a real value behind it. It's not too late to make your resolution. Subscribe to Meet in 3 wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single episode this year.
4: You all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host Sherry Bayer, and we're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, February 6, 2019. This is the 204th episode of the series, which is dedicated to behind the scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is the culinary director of a highly regarded fast casual restaurant chain, and I will introduce him fully in a moment. First, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip. And then later, we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to utilize focus groups. Yes, sometimes it's good to get feedback before making long-term decisions, especially when consumer behavior is involved. Focus focus groups can not only help obtain detailed information about feelings, perceptions, and opinions, but they can provide a broader range of information and save time and money compared to individual interviews, making your decision making easier. So focus on focus groups when the time is right. That's my tip today. Now I'm really happy to have my guest here with me in the studio. It is Mark Rosati. He is the culinary director of Shake Shack, a modern-day roadside burger stand, serving up delicious burgers, shakes, and more since 2004. Born and raised in Connecticut, Mark grew up enjoying many of the state's characteristic roadside seafood and burger shacks. By fate, he met Gramercy Tavern's opening chef, Tom Calicchio, setting his hospitality career in motion. In 2007, Mark joined the original Madison Square Park location of Danny Meyer Shake Shack as a manager, which turned to his role as culinary development manager and then to culinary director. With a mission t- to stand for something good, Shake Shack currently has over 200 locations worldwide. and Maybe it's even, I don't know, we'll talk about the numbers there because it keeps growing, but welcome to the show. Uh,
5: thanks for having me, Sherry.
4: Thanks for coming out. I'm I'm super excited to talk with you and, and hear all about your career, because I feel I've gotten to know you a bit just from seeing you at events. You yeah. and I kind of run yep. the culinary event circuit a bit together. Yeah,
5: we've, we've seen each other in a lot of cities and some uh, international too.
4: Yeah, true. Yeah. So, um, but you do, you do travel more than me, which is, um, and I travel quite a bit, but you've You way, way outdo me, but um, (laughs) we'll, we'll get into, we'll get into that. Let's, let's start out with your background and what led you to this, this world in food. Uh,
5: I I felt like I've been training for this all my life but I didn't know it. Um, As you said earlier, I grew up in a a little coastal town in Connecticut um, and about two minute walk from my house where I grew up, we had a very famous uh, seafood shack that was seasonal. And, um, in the summertime, it was the place to go for everyone that lived in that neighborhood to get, uh, a milkshake or a clam roll or even a hot dog, you know? And, uh, you know, if we won like the little league game that day, uh, that's where our parents would take us. So like, it's not too dissimilar for what Shake Shack was all about. And, um, I moved to New York city to uh, study film and television and, uh, I just fell in love with the food scene here, you know. Growing up in Connecticut, New York was was close, but never close enough where I could easily go in on a whim and just say, hey, I want to go see a Broadway show or I've been hearing about this restaurant. I need to need to see what this is all about. So um, I uh, when I came here for school, that's when, like, everything just, like, got flipped upside down. Like, I'm like, I now have access to all this stuff. Like, I want to see where I can get a good hamburger. Like, who's doing the best slice of pizza? So right away, I kind of went into the mellow food. But uh, I also heard restaurants like uh, Gotham Bar and Grill, Restaurant Danielle, uh, Gramercy Tavern, and I didn't know what these were. And I I remember reading, uh, I think it was Forbes Magazine had their annual uh, go, stop, consider list, and they had their top restaurants. And I remember just reading those names going, I one day want to go to all of these and just see what this is about. And uh, the restaurant that always captivated me was Gramercy Tavern. And I've been trying to think about how I first went there. I had I had always known the reputation and I knew knew of Danny Meyer, but I think I uh, I think one time me and a very good friend of mine just said it was like restaurant week lunch. And we could go there and eat for like it might have been like nineteen dollars and eighty cents that time or something. There's right. something ridiculously inexpensive, so we went there and we wound up sitting in the tavern and getting the tasting menu. And I just remember seeing stuff that I've never in my life seen before, and it was just so perfect and delicious. There was like a little bluefin tartare with a uh, like an heirloom tomato gelée, and then like a little scoop of like a, a celery sorbet. And I'm like, what? Sorbet? You can do this with like vegetables? So Gramercy was my place. And I, I loved it. It was for special events. I didn't go there often. And uh, I just luckily met um, the chef at the time, uh, Tom Colicchio, and his chef de cuisine, John Schaefer, at an event. And because I was such a fan, I started gushing like a, a deranged lunatic. <laughs> and they, they looked a little scared because I was like, that steak you do in the tavern, like – do you put the uh, caramelized onions on top when it's done or do you cook with the onions and let them cook in the fat of the beef? And then <laughs> they're like, you seem like really inspired by us. So here's our card. Come in. Watch us cook one I and we'll answer your questions in real time. And I never thought about being in the restaurant business. I read a lot about it. I dined out a lot. I try to cook at home. My food never tastes as good as the restaurants. So it was actually going into Gramercy Tavern just with fresh eyes and and knows that I just fell in love with it. It was just the most beautiful, magical moment. I'll never forget the smell of uh, a piece of sirloin coming out of the oven, almost perfectly roasted, where the uh, meat roaster put in uh, butter and thyme and shallot and garlic and just started basting that meat, that smell. I was like, oh, I want in. I want to do this. This is cool. Yeah. And uh, I was lucky that they they kind of saw me as a friend. So I actually went back and would hang out in the kitchen and like, cut potatoes or clean wild mushrooms and it just started to feel more like a natural fit for me and that's why i started to say maybe maybe the restaurant business is for me wow yeah
4: grammar sheet tavern is magical it it really is and i was when you're talking i'm even thinking they have a a damn good burger as well yeah no it's the whole the ambiance the food the whole thing so i could see i could see that place capturing you but so so you say you were you were volunteering to to cook or cut potatoes or be yep. in the kitchen. When did that turn into a job where you were, you were being paid, you were, you were on the line, you, and then you also, I know transitioned a bit from the back of the house to front of the house mm-hmm. at, at one point, or you wanted to learn.
5: I, uh, I would probably go off and on into that kitchen, maybe over a period of like three times like a, a year, I it was like a three. week. Okay, yeah, no, I would go and <laughs> okay. I was going like you know once in a great while, and like uh, it was so fun because I did it so sporadically over a long period of time. You know, the sous chefs who I had made friends with, like the first go around, they had already moved on, so I had like right. to meet all the like who are you again, like who do you know, why are you here, like uh, here's some bone marrow guy, just uh, clean that up for us, and uh, you know just try to stay out of the way.
4: And was this like you you called up tom and was like hey i have a free day can i come in the kitchen exactly okay. exactly
5: uh, tom tom and uh john schaefer who uh you know tom at that point had uh he'd started to get ready to open up craft uh-huh. and so uh they kind of needed more help at Gramercy, which was great for me so i worked a little bit with tom and then he was off doing that and then of course the whole tv thing started for tom so i worked very closely with john and uh i would just reach out and say hey man my notes. Uh, Monday. What about, what about Saturday? Can I come in at the end of the week and just like help you guys out? He's like, come on down. And then after September 11th happened, um, most of the film and television that I was working on had gone back to Los Angeles and there wasn't a lot for me to do at that time. And I was like, you know maybe I'll just go back in that restaurant. Cause at this point I started getting really into cooking. I had been in some kitchens, I'd helped prepped, I'd seen some kind of cool moves you know, uh, <laughs> I had I'd read about like say a uh, a chanterelle mushroom, but there they're actually giving me them to clean and mm-hmm. telling showing me how to cook them. So, you know, I would be uh, foraging through the city trying to find like uh, where I could get chanterelle mushrooms, and then I would cook them for friends because I knew what to do. Finally, um, it was that time when I actually said to them, "I actually think I want to work here." And they 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 kind of laughed. They're like, "Ah, you're a buddy. You know, we don't only really put too much work uh, on your plate. You know, you're a friend. We're not gonna yell at you." Um, I'm like, no, I, I can do this. So I, I actually set out and I work for free, uh, Monday through Friday with the, uh, lunchtime team. And I think we got in at 6am and we were out maybe around three or four every day and Monday through Friday. And I did that for two months straight. And at the end of that, uh, John came to me, goes, man, we can't get rid of you. We make you do everything. You have, you come buckets of onions and like clean the stove and, uh, you got the job if you want it. And that was like the greatest day of my life. I'm like, oh, my God, this restaurant that is so fabled and iconic. Yeah. And we're like, finally, I'm, I'm part of the team. Um, and that's how it started. And I did three years in that kitchen, uh, uh, officially on the team. And I worked uh, a year and a half with Tom. Then Tom uh, left Cramercy. And we didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, he wanted to focus on his TV career and also uh, his craft empire. And that's when Mike Anthony entered and uh, we didn't know what to expect from Mike. Uh, but I have to say, working with Mike Anthony was one of the most enlightening moments in my career. And I, I look at him and I say, this is a, a consummate professional from start to finish. He walked in and I was we were all nervous. We just didn't know him. We didn't know his style or what he expected from us. One time I was cooking meat during the service. He walks over, he just kind of like arms crossed, like kind of like looking at me out of the corner of my eye and I'm like, um, "Is this is this okay? Do you want me to cook it differently, you know, Mm -hmm. more butter, less butter, you know, like sear it less, cook it more. He goes, don't do a thing. He goes, do not change a single thing. He goes, first of all, you guys are successful. He goes, this is a very successful restaurant. I'm inspired by everything everyone does here. He goes, I need to learn this. He goes, I need to simulate what you're doing. So do not change a thing. You know, I need to understand why you guys are so amazing. And then maybe we'll start doing stuff. And I'll never forget. just the most humble thing I've ever seen.
4: Yeah. He's he's amazing. I'm a big fan of his. And wow, what a what experiences and people to work with. So, what led you to Shake Shack, this thing that was opening in Madison <laughs> Square Park?
5: Um, it was it was a lot of uh, I think fate. You know, fate. I think definitely played a role yeah. in this too. Because um, when I was ready, I had done three years in that kitchen, and I was just so in love with the restaurant business that I said, I want to keep growing. You know. Um, I trailed in a few other kitchens and, uh, I remember, uh, one that I really enjoyed was, um, Del Posto with chef Mark Ladner. And he, uh, he was like, so what are you thinking here? I had met him before and I said to him, you know, I'm. I love pasta. I think you do a wonderful pasta. I'm so inspired. Like, you know, I would love a role if there is such a thing where I come and I learn to make the pasta. And then once I learn to make the pasta, then I learn to make the sauces. And then once I learn to make the sauces, I'm actually on the line bringing it all together. I want a soup to nuts pasta education. He's like, yeah, we can do that. I'm like, cool.
4: And then, <laughs> another another wonderful chef and absolutely, great place to work. A wonderful person.
5: Sure. And, yeah. uh, and then uh, there were some other restaurants. But the, one of my favorite ones was I applied to Per Se. But not for back of the house, actually for front of the house. I saw they had an opening and I'll never forget the manager sent me a note saying, listen, you have no experience whatsoever. I don't even know if you can like carry a cup without falling over. But you work for Danny Meyer and that counts for something in this industry, especially at Gramercy. He goes, we'll take a chance on you. And I was like, oh, my God. They
4: hired you as a server at person? I was
5: offered a job. Yep.
4: (laughs) (laughs) They're like, We'll train
5: you. But then here's the thing. Okay. So I had spent time in person. I spent time at El Posto. Totally amazing experiences. And the one thing I was missing with these experiences was the culture of Danny Meyer. And I started out in this business because of Tom Colicchio. I love Gramercy. scene. I knew the name Danny. Every New Yorker that's into, into food knows mm-hmm. Danny. Right. But it wasn't until I actually worked at the restaurant and really kind of went behind the scenes in the magic, that's when I started to realize what makes this man special. It was all the people I work with were just friends i never met in life they were so wonderful and there was no division between the cooks cooking the food and the servers serving the food we all hung out at the end of the shift we were all uh coming in at the same time and just hey how was your night last night like it was just camaraderie like I never felt before and I realized there were a lot of people that had been there since it opened and the funny thing was I went there maybe about two months ago and I still see people that have been there since day one going back to Tom 1994 I think that speaks volumes yeah, about amazing. that restaurant and Danny, is um, a person. And I said, you know what? I don't think I want to leave this company. I mean, I love these mm-hmm. other restaurants, but there's something I'm, I'm getting from Danny that I don't understand. That I, I want to stay here, but maybe I want to grow. So again, I'm, I'm interested in maybe the front of the house now. And I remember the only restaurant in our entire company—it was all fine dining at the time. It was maybe 13 fine dining. We had Blue Smoke, and then we also had Shake Shack. Was Shake Shack? Shake Shack was the only restaurant that had an opening for a manager, which I was kind of on the fence about. I'm like, I don't know if this is for me. And I remember talking to the director of op- of operations for the restaurant group, Brandy Garuti, via email saying, you know, I want to grow. Like, what do you have? He goes, Mark, we have an availability at Shake Shack. Do you want that interview? I'm like, yeah. yeah what, a, what about What about Blue Smoke? Like, you know, those guys <laughs> are drinking bourbon. They're cooking meats. That's fun. And uh, right. what, what about like, you know? What about Levin Madison Park? I hear there's a new chef there. Crazy things are going on. I want to be part of that. He's like, Mark, I understand your passions and desires. We only have Shake Shack. Take it or leave it. I'm like, all right. I guess I'll go and meet the team there. And I, I had been to Shake Shack at this point. I had waited in line in the summertime, and I loved it. I thought it was absolutely amazing. But to me, I, I kept thinking about like my, my, uh, me growing up uh, as you know in elementary school and i had a teacher in, in like 3rd grade and they would look at the class and go, "Okay, you kids, you're you're just not applying yourselves. Here's what's going to happen. If you do not buckle down and study, you're going to wind up flipping burgers one day." I'm like, uh, "Oh my god, the teacher right. was right. Yeah. Mrs. Johnson was <laughs> right. Off the burgers." I'm like, "This is not good." Um, but it wasn't until I actually did that trail. I went in, I met the team, and I actually spent time in the kitchen that I realized Not only was it the same ingredients we were using at Gramercy, the same meat was coming through. We were using the same people to get our vegetables from. Everything was made from scratch. Uh, But it was actually that culture. That culture was tremendously uh, alive at Shake Shack. And I'm like, oh, this is just like all of our other restaurants. Just a little more simplistic. Uh, The dining room is a park. This will be fun. Again, I kind of was thinking back to my childhood. I kind Mm -hmm. of understood the vision. And that's when I took the leap to Shake Shack.
4: Wow, and and you definitely have have excelled in that position and, and and moved it into where you've where you are today. And we're going to get more into your role today when we after we take a little break here. So stay with us. This is on in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. We'll be right back.
1: This episode is presented by Magnus Design. Swedish designer Magnus Lundström has taken his extensive experience designing best-selling products for companies including Electrolux and IKEA and created his own line of kitchenware, combining his engineering skills and artistry to produce timeless products that reflect environmental awareness and respect for natural materials. Crafted for everyday use, his mortar and pestles, Cutting boards, and spice mills have been repeatedly selected as best in the represented categories for years. You can see Magnus's products online at magnuslundstrom.com. That's Magnus, L U N D S T R O M.com. Or visit his partner's store, Area Home, located below Union Square on 11th Street.
4: Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Mark Rosati. He's the culinary director at Shake Shack. We just learned how he got to that position of working at Shake Shack, but you, <laughs> you, you went from manager into well, along your path, you, you made your way now to. Being the culinary director, so, mm-hmm. and it seems to me you you tied you've tied in all your love and passion for the back of the house with the front of the house into doing what you're doing now. So, but how did that how did that progress over the years?
5: It was um, the funny thing is when I took this job again, I was excited about it, and I was like, I'm going to learn management. And um, one of the hardest things I had to do after accepting the job and just taking this leap of faith in my career. Um, was call per se back and talk to that manager. And I remember just she picked up the phone and I was like, um, just want to say thank you for willing to uh, take a chance on me. That's incredibly uh, uh, wonderful of you. I will always appreciate that gesture. Um, but I have to say no. She's like, oh, well, I'm sorry to hear that. And I'm like, I'm taking a management role at Shake Shack And like, I'm just waiting for her to start laughing or like (laughs) slam the phone on me. And she goes, you know what? I would do the same thing. And I was like, I'm sorry. She goes, listen, I think we do a lot of things here that are amazing. You know, I think we're one of the best in the city for service. If you decide you want to learn service, I hope you call me and think of us and come back. I think we're the best in the game. She goes, but management, Danny's a legend. I would do the same thing. You're lucky to get a management position in any of his restaurants. I think you're making the right choice. Yeah, I felt great about that. I felt great about that. And I started off, I was hired because of my my uh, kitchen background. Um, At the time, I I was trying to not do the kitchen stuff again. I wanted to learn a new uh, Mm -hmm. skill set. I want to put all my energy into it. And uh, I was hired, though, because I did have that skill set. And the general manager said to me, you know, we have a back of the house manager. Um, You know, he's there five days a week. You know, he needs two days off. We'll have you Uh, give him his days off and then you'll do three days at the shack and, you know, it'll be management all the way, but you'll get some back of the house stuff there. And then also, you know, you'll work with us. So I was like, this is a fantastic. Um, and when I had gotten there, you know, the menu had already been set in place. It was a very simplistic menu. And, um, the idea was just don't touch anything. You know, this is working. Do not change anything. But I was blown away because I was cooking so much at this shack that I, I cannot imagine, like, who who would have thought to, to do this level of, uh, like, taking everything and making it handmade. So we have chocolate toffee on our menu. And i had seen on the menu when I waited in line, Shake Shack, and I had ordered uh, one of our special frozen concretes that have the chocolate toffee in there. I thought we were just buying scores or buying, like, you know, Heath Bar Crunch. We were making the toffee from scratch. I'm like, I can't believe this. Everything, shack sauce, fudge sauce, our cheese sauce, our shroom burgers, we were making in a commissary every single day um, in New York City and then driving it over. So it was kind of good. I actually did one, it turned out, because I wanted to keep my hands in the kitchen while the management was happening. Um, but at the time, there wasn't a lot of like new stuff going on. We had our Custer calendar, which changed very often. Um, and there was an opportunity to do some new stuff. And uh, while well, I first was told, you know, don't touch the menu... I remember one time making a tweak here and there on one of our recipes, and uh, our uh, our uh, um, uh, manager, uh, he's now our CEO, Randy, the same guy who interviewed me a while back. Um, he tried, and he goes, "Ah, he goes, this is great." He goes, "There was something in the old recipe that tasted like very garlic forward." And I remember him always saying that. So I tweaked. I just brought down a bit just to create a little more balance. Mm-hmm. And those old recipes weren't really. Uh, like in a standard organization in terms of how to scale them. So I just like, oh, I'll make a little adjustments here. I'll just put them all, say, in like grams. So at least they're all in the same measurements and try to dial it in just a little bit. And Randy tried it. He goes, oh, this is great. I love it. I love it. I go, I, Randy, I, I just changed it just a tiny, just tiny little bit. He's like, oh, I love it. Okay. Well, let's see what we can do here. Let's see if we can just tweak stuff up just a touch, just a touch without losing what it's, makes it great. And we just kind of balance stuff a little bit. And then at the same time, we started to say, well, Why don't we just try adding a few new items to the menu? Again, small stuff Mm -hmm. like we're not going to create a whole nother category. Let's maybe add a burger. Let's see. People want bacon. Um, Let's maybe make a burger on bacon instead of just adding bacon to the menu and having people add it to the shack burger. We knew that'd be too easy. We had that moment to say, why don't we create a burger with bacon as the center point? It's our muse and then add different ingredients on top of it to highlight all that's great about bacon and make it super thoughtful. And that was the moment where we would create our Smoke Shack burger, which was, I think, the first burger added to the menu since the inception. And it was incredibly popular. And we used double smoked bacon. We took it a step further. We were working with Nyman Ranch saying, can't just be delicious bacon. There also there has to be like, the money has to be right. going to people doing it the right way in terms of how they're raising the livestock and all that, too. So it was one of these defining moments in the early days that kind of just started to grow our whole ethos for the company And it was also the time where I started to kind of transition, not from being a manager of a shack, but just focusing full time on uh, the culinary and also the training back then.
4: Right. It it made me think for a minute about with Danny Meyer when he started with Union Square Cafe and then he was slow with opening a second place and he opened Gramercy Tavern and then... And then all of a sudden he opened a third place and then all of a sudden it went skyrocketed into all these places and all these Shake Shacks. And it's kind of, I was thinking when you are talking, like you started very slow with us. Maybe we'll tweak the menu. Maybe we'll add a few things. But now you've you've even gone to the point we should get to talking about Mm -hmm. the innovation kitchen you're doing and and the development and that you, I want to hear a little about also how you travel around the world and you go to all these Shake Shacks and how do you, I'm a, how different are the menus, and are you? Well, I don't know. It, are are there specialties in different places around the world, or mm-hmm. do you start with the basic? What was the original Shake Shack menu? You it, know,
5: it's always about the original. Uh, as we always we start expanding. When I started, there was loose talk about maybe a second location one day, and no promises. There was no <laughs> site. There was nothing. But we were all hoping the team I uh, started working with the original Shake Shack in Madison Park were just amazing. There they were my heroes. They were so smart and sharp. And when I started, they had already started putting together training materials and like you know sheets on like how to cook a burger stuff we never had. But the vision was hopefully, hopefully one day there'll be a second one and that will be it. So um, it was never intended to get to we're at I think two hundred and ten plus locations around the world which is so surreal for me to say it's
4: it's it's beyond (laughs) i mean yeah that's a lot of locations
5: it's it's all been a lot of a lot of luck and then also uh where it was maybe intuitive trying to take that intuition to make it more uh into adding more intent to it and um, the second location we found it and we kept thinking it's not going to be successful it's it's going to be um, it's the park. We're in a park in New York City. You can order a burger. You can drink a beer under the stars at night in the summertime. That's why we have lines.
4: You always Burger's call it that, a situational burger. Exactly. Or, yeah. Like, you, how can you not? Yeah.
5: It's like, who wouldn't love that? It'll mm-hmm. we'll never work indoors. Um, we finally, we finally found a location that we thought was great. It was actually right near, um, our CEO, Randy, where he lives on the Upper West Side, Um, And we opened that location, I think it was back in uh, 97 or so, yeah, and uh, the next thing I know, it just started, 2007, the next thing I know, it was even busier than the first location, and it was like, how is this happening? Um, And then right after that, someone came to us from Miami and said, I'm building this big, beautiful parking structure-like remember, building. yeah remember from yes. Miami,
4: I remember when that opened. Yeah, it was and, like yeah. so
5: fun. And like he was like, you know, we would like to put a Shake Shack in here. We're like, really, us? Like, we, we don't know how to run a restaurant outside New York City. All of our restaurants are in New York. We took the leap of faith and we went down there and opened that. And then again, we had to learn, we had to grow. We knew why we seasoned our burgers a certain way, but then we had to figure out a way of like codifying that and putting it into a manual and training other people to do that. And then uh, the, the biggest jump we made, we started to grow a little bit more. Shack number seven, we opened in Dubai. That's,
4: that's a huge move <laughs> for number seven, And too. again, we don't want yeah. to
5: do that. Maybe, maybe, you know, we had Miami. We had a few shacks in New York right, at this right. point. That alone took all of our bandwidth. And we're like, well, just grow New York. Let's grow Miami. But if it wasn't for this amazing company that came to us um, that said, you know, we we represent a lot of restaurants in the Middle East. We, we run all the Starbucks. And we run Cheesecake Factory. And we were go, oh, my God. they has been quite successful. Exactly. Yes. Uh-huh. So we're like, we we will go to school with these uh, amazing uh, partners. And again, yeah. we're not really ready to do this. And they remember they said to us after we signed the contract, I go, great. We're so excited. We're hoping maybe Dubai will be first, maybe Kuwait. Uh, if you give us our operations manual, you know, we'll start digging in. If we have any questions, we'll get back to you. we're like, uh, operations manual. What the heck is that? Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get back to that operations manual. And then we literally had to go and create an operations yeah. manual. So all that enabled us to grow and get to the next step. Um, and then as we kept growing, we started to say to ourselves, we don't want to be a chain. I mean, we are a chain. There's no doubt about it. But who says every single link in the chain has to be the same? Right. Let's make these really uh, inspired by their neighborhoods. So that way it feels like not some guys from New York open a Shake Shack in Miami, but someone from Miami that loves hamburgers decide to open a restaurant. And they really care about the quality of the food, the hospitality of the team, uh, the music, the lighting, and just really dial it in.
4: Right. Well, I went uh, this weekend. I went down to your Innovation Kitchen. Excellent. And and because uh, I hadn't been. And I I loved, I didn't really know what to expect. It was Saturday. So Yep. There was no one downstairs in the kitchen, even though I went down. I I <laughs> saw your whole off. wall of yeah. pictures and took pictures. And I ordered from the 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 innovation menu, yep. which was I had the uh, salt and pepper honey chicken,
5: excellent, and
4: and the chestnut mousse um, shake. It was it excellent. Was, yeah, cool. no, it was fun. I don't know how many people are ordering from that. And then, mm-hmm. how do you take? Are you waiting for feedback? Are you seeing how many people order these? new items
5: it's a little bit of both and um when we got to our 200th location we had did that all in the back of shake shacks all around new york city we never had a kitchen to work out of so from those early days it was always the back of like one of our shake shacks and all of our shake shacks in new york um, are very busy restaurants so we would always be crowded in next to a team that's cooking. A busy lunch and, and I'm coming be like, can up can with I, your new, yeah, next can new I, thing. Can I put this bacon next to that burger, man? Is that okay? And it's like, it's all this stuff that we, we realized we needed something. Uh, we needed a home where we could actually uh, sit there, a space of our own. We could work with recipes that could be somewhat complex if we had to get a lot of ingredients out and like scales and we had that space to do it. And for the longest time, we knew we needed it, but we never thought we were at the size to need one. And we kept saying, well, you know, you know maybe <laughs> we get to 300 locations. Like, and it's we would, so funny. It's like we finally had that moment to realize yeah. we need it. But we actually realized this like three years ago. But we, we looked at locations. We found great locations that could have been cool like innovation kitchens, but they were far from the office or there was no shack near them. And we kept saying, you know, we know the culinary team needs a home. But wouldn't it be great if it was like office, Shake Shack, and the Innovation Kitchen all under one roof? And it took us three years to find that location. we opened it a few months ago in the West Village on the corner of Verrick and Clarkson. And it's our corporate offices uh, on the top floor there, the third floor. And then we go uh, Shake Shack, and then we have our actual Innovation Kitchen. And now we actually have a place – and you were talking about this earlier – about um, capturing feedback and you know testing ideas out and having that moment where you you need to get some feedback. Sometimes you have to put it to the people and really understand what you want to what you want to offer them. Is it is it in pitch with what they're asking for? And in the past, again, it was all intuitive. We got a lot better about the business. That became right. more uh, intentional. But still, the if food was kind of coming from our guts. If we all liked these ideas, we'd hope our fans would like them. But now we have that moment to have these. Uh, Moments where yeah. we can test, capture feedback and say, hey, you know, your, your salt and pepper honey chicken, you know, um, is it salty enough? Is it the balance of sweet and salt enough? You know, would you add something else? Would you take something away? You know, just want to make sure you guys are loving yeah. what we're doing. So it's a place where we can create items and globally, all the food we create globally will happen in that space. And then sometimes we'll bring it upstairs to the shack and we'll surprise our guests and say, hey, right now we have these French fries that we might bring to our Shake Shack that we just opened in Shanghai. Yeah, they're spicy. They're fun. What do you guys think about that?
4: It's very cool. I love the idea, and I'm glad my my tip did get inspired by thinking about this innovation and focus groups and how you absolutely you, you get feedback. Um, okay, so we we need to, we're going to take another break, mm-hmm. but before we do, I have a question. For, for you for my last guest. Okay. So on episode 203, I had on Benji Leibowitz. He's the founder of In-House, which is a membership club for hospitality enthusiasts. Now, we're going to do something new for the first time. Instead of me read it back, we're going to play it back. Oh. So here we go. Here's his question.
5: It's amazing what he and his team have done over the last few years. Um, I, have, I have a question for him as a... Uh, as a chef, as a, I, I believe his title is culinary director, mm-hmm. um, if he could have been a part of any restaurant team, past or present, which team would that have been and during what period?
4: There uh, you go. Great question. It's a good question. It's a right? great question.
5: Yeah. Uh, Two come to mind, and I'll tell you them very quickly. Uh, the first one that comes to mind, and it's just because I love the food and I love the whimsy, is a restaurant in uh, Bray in the UK uh, called The Fat Duck, Chef Heston oh. Blumenthal. And I feel like He bought this restaurant in this tiny little town, and he actually inherited a pub and he was running a pub. And then there was that moment where transition from being a pub to one of the most progressive, whimsical, like creative restaurants in the world. I almost think it would be fun to have been on the team that transitioned that. I mean, like the stuff that he comes up with is just nothing short of magical. Uh, I just would love to have been there to see that. Um, And then something kind of similar in a way. um, I just love when restaurants shift and pivot and you could see the genius and magic about to explode. Um, a restaurant here in New York city, uh, chef's table at Brooklyn fair Mm. chef, uh, Cesar Ramirez. And, uh, when he first opened his, what is now a three-star Michelin restaurant, uh, one of the finest restaurants in New York city, he opened this in downtown Brooklyn, which I live in downtown Brooklyn. And back when it opened, it was on a quiet street. It was part of a market. It wasn't really a restaurant by any means. It was a little counter where you had, you know, like a, a nice oven and a few nice pans and pots. And it was such a startup project. He actually did not have a liquor license, so you could have one of the best meals in New York City in this restaurant, but you could bring your own wine. That is that so rare.
4: The one time I've I've been there yep. was when it was was uh, BYOB, and yeah, it was it was magical, and you couldn't take pictures. Yeah, so I, I I have no pictures of my experience, <laughs> but those are two excellent places that I, yeah, too, I can't imagine working at either one, but it would be fantastic experience. So. Okay, great. Uh, We're going to take a break here, and then we're going to come back. We'll play my speedrun game and talk some industry news. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network.
3: Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Jenna Liute, and I'm the host of Eating Matters here on HRN. Join me as I talk to food systems experts about the issues that shape our experiences of buying, cooking, and eating food. You can find Eating Matters wherever you listen to podcasts and on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
4: Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Mark Rosati. He's the culinary director at Shake Shack, and we're going to play my speed round game. So, are you ready? I am. I'm going to name a couple things. You get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. Okay. Okay, so here we go. Eat in or eat out? Eat out. Wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail? Wine. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Small plates or large plates?
5: Small plates.
4: Communal table or chef's
5: counter? Chef's counter.
4: Tipping or all-inclusive charge?
5: All-inclusive these days for me. (laughs) (laughs) No one get you in trouble.
4: (laughs) How about uh, crinkle fries or fresh cut fries
5: oh crinkles all the way and i asked when danny came on my
4: show i asked him that one too (laughs) yeah your crinkles are good people like them okay a few more window seat or aisle seat for those those days you're traveling around the world
5: aisle i need to stay hydrated so i also probably have to keep using the restroom because i'm Uh drinking so much water but i I, i like to stay hydrated on flights
4: Okay, there you go. I was curious. <laughs> I always do window, but it's yep. yeah, it's a pain to. Especially get.
5: that person mm-hmm. in the middle or the yeah. aisle falls asleep. Ugh, hard yeah. to get out.
4: <laughs> okay, two more: cheese plate or dessert? Dessert. Manhattan or Brooklyn? Brooklyn. Nice. You really got the speed on that. I'm yeah. impressed. <laughs> you know what you like. Yeah, I try. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so industry news. There was a big news yesterday. An article I picked out in the New York Times, talking about the Los Angeles Times, how they will revive its separate food section. And this article was by Kim Severson, and she writes, new hires are part of a rebuilding effort at a newspaper that has experienced hard times. And this is cool news because they stopped, Los Angeles Times stopped, it said in 2012, with their they had a separate food section mm-hmm. and then they combined it it was a part of the Saturday paper but they're bringing back a standalone print section that's going to come out on Thursdays and it's 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 great for the food world
5: <laughs> I think that's that's absolutely uh, wonderful and I have to say um I've uh, been fortunate to spend a lot of time recently over the past couple of years in Los Angeles as we've opened uh, some locations out mm-hmm. there and that food scene they have is just It's a behemoth. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Yeah. Super diverse. And I almost feel like we're going through very special times with what's happening out there, the way they think about food, the produce, and what they're turning it into. Then I'm glad the L.A. Times is actually going to beef up their food section and, and start to capture this and report more about it because I would hate for what's happening not to be recorded for history because, you know, when I go out there, I'm a proud New Yorker. I love what we do in this city, but they're doing stuff a little different out there. And I'm finding a lot of inspiration from L.A., so I'm glad that they're doing this and that the yeah. L.A. Times, who should be recognizing this, is recognizing it.
4: Yeah, I, I agree. And they have they have a really strong team. They have uh, Peter Meehan is oh, wow, yeah, the food editor. And Great. They have Andrea Chang as deputy food editor, uh-huh. and then I know Ben Mims from New York. He's now cooking columnist, and Genevieve Cove from cooking editor. Ben is from New York; has moved out to L.A. So um, it's exciting, and i I was look, I was trying to see like how or why is this happening. But they said in the article that there was. Um, a billionaire surgeon <laughs> and medical entrepreneur who bought the paper last year. And so he's, there's, there's funding now behind it. And, but they're, enab- you know, enabling the, the, the editors and to hire more of a food staff and create a whole section. And cause there has been in the past couple of years, it's been more like decreasing yep. these jobs and roles. So it's nice. And I agree completely with LA. I feel there's so much happening there. Uh, I wish I had an excuse as much as you to fly out there. <laughs> How many locations do you now have
5: in Los Angeles? I think we're up to about um, seven, seven or eight now. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, been a, it's probably been one of the more like um, it was an honor to open there. Um, probably a high, high moment in my career because we were always considered the In-N-Out burger of uh, the East Coast. And um, we always thought that was a great compliment. But we also felt at the same time we were different in the way we presented the food and the way we cooked the food. And we knew going out to LA, we would had a target on our back and we totally get it because In-N-Out is amazing. Actually, the day we opened our first Shake Shack, I went to In-N-Out to just pay homage to one of the greats of America before I flew home. But when we finally opened up, the press was like, okay, here we go. We're going to try you. I'm very happy to say that everyone wrote, you guys are different. We mm-hmm. love you both. There's room for both you guys. We'll go to In-N-Out one day. We'll go to Shake Shack the next day. And there are other great burgers in the city, too. Yeah. And that's how we felt. I mean, like, I love pizza. It's probably one of my biggest passions. Um, coming up here to Roberta's and Gang of pizza is always something I do. But it's not my only pizza. Like, I love variety. There are people that do different styles. And... You know, I like to eat around and I always come back to my favorites, but I like a little bit of something in there. So opening in L.A. um, and being accepted by the culinary community and and the locals was just huge because we wanted to stick to our guns. We're a New York brand. We think about it a little differently. Um, And I think we're additive. So, uh, again, a lot of love for L.A.
4: Yeah, I agree. And I I'm the same way with eating as well. So, (laughs) yeah, on the same page okay we're gonna take one more break we're gonna come back i'm gonna do my solo dining experience and we'll have the final question this is all in the industry on heritage radio network
3: are you enjoying this podcast heritage radio network has plenty more My name is Jenna Liute, and I'm the host of Eating Matters here on HRN. Join me as I talk to food systems experts about the issues that shape our experiences of buying, cooking, and eating food. You can find Eating Matters wherever you listen to podcasts and on Heritageradionetwork.org
4: Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience. So this week, it's at the Standard Grill. Here's the rundown. The location, 848 Washington Street at the Standard Hotel, Meatpacking District, New York City. The concept, it's a neighborhood staple for over a decade defined as classic New York. The chef, Rocco Desperado. So why did I go? Because Rocco is back. So, my experience. So, last Friday night, I was nearby and I decided to go as a walk in. And first, I went in. There's two areas in the Standard Hotel. There's the, they've divided it up, is what I discovered. There's the Standard Cafe in the front and the Standard Grill in the back. And it used to all be one restaurant. So, at first, I sat down at the bar in the cafe and then I found out the menu was different. So, I went to the back and I I had a, a nice, nice little cozy booth. Like, it was like, (laughs) you don't see this as much, a two-top booth, but I sat there, I was facing the kitchen, um, and I had a great meal, and I also recognized the major d' when I walked in, Michael Azalina, as I recognized him from Le Cuckoo, where he previously was, and he's now over at the Standard Grill, so we were able to chat a bit during my meal. So what did I get? So I went with Rocco's signature pecanic bay scallops and uni dressed in the shell with tomato water and mustard oil, something he's very well known from uh for from Union Pacific. And then I also had truffle risotto with red shrimp, and I had the smaller portion. There were two different sizes. I had more of the appetizer size, and it came with uh, gamberoni rosso, truffle butter, and fresh black truffles. And there was a little amuse that they sent out at the beginning. So my take... It was wonderful. The fresh scallops and the uni go perfectly with the tomato water, and it's beautiful presentation. And then the risotto had flavorful shrimp and, of course, truffles. You can't go wrong with truffles. So it was it was a nice meal. Uh, the ambiance, it's low-lit space. It has dark woods and plush banquettes. It was designed by Roman and Williams that actually also did La cuckoo. And I would say it's perfect for date night. It's kind of a little sexy ambiance. Interesting tidbit. So Rocco has not cooked in a kitchen for over 15 years since his days at Union Pacific, which closed in 2004, despite it having rave reviews, including Ruth Reichel, who gave it three stars at the New York Times. And then from 2003 to four, I don't know if y'all, y'all will remember, but on NBC, he had a reality television show, The Restaurant, which he did with Jeffrey Chattaro and became known for that, but that didn't end that well. And then Rocco's Pretty much, I've seen him at a lot of events, and he's been a spokesperson, and he's still been cooking, doing cookbooks and whatnot, but he hasn't been in a kitchen, so it's exciting to have him back. Personal fun fact, I remember dining at Union Pacific on my 28th birthday, and it being fabulous. The cost of this meal was $50, not including tax and gratuity. Would I go back? Yes, and the website is thestandardgrill.com. So there you go. Raku is back. That's that, my that's my experience.
5: That's excellent. Uh, <laughs> I, I I was very fortunate to dine at Union Pacific uh, many years back, and I was blown away by the meal. Yeah, actually, I had friends in the business that uh, cooked at that restaurant too, uh, under him, and they uh, it was just a very special time. I think a lot of talent came out of that kitchen too, and it's still making marks in the the business here in New York. Yeah, It's good to see him back, though.
4: Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I don't. It's it is it is very cool. So. Okay, time for the final question. So, my next guests, I have two guests coming on. They are Connie McDonald and Pam Weeks, and they are the founders of Levain Bakery, which is known for its world famous oh, that's great. ginormous cookies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Those that's cookies delicious. are huge, and they've, they've, so from what I understand, they're still lying at their, at their original location. Oh. Like, people wait for these cookies. And I, they have more. So.
5: I've been up there recently. Yes, I can, I can confirm the line. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible.
4: So, Mark, what would you like to ask Connie and Pam?
5: Oh, wow. Um, I guess uh, something I'm curious, um, I've always admired them. I've waited in that line to get their cookies, and they're very unique. They made a mark in this city, which is not easy to do, with a very original idea. And I guess I'd want to know, um, what's your creative process like to develop those cookies? And they have other stuff, too, but you they kind of wrote a whole new chapter of what a cookie can be what you could expect from that experience I'm just curious how they how they set out to kind of create something like that
4: okay great I will find out I feel like they could ask that right back at you (laughs) 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 well with everything you've I don't I don't know do you even do you count how many new menu items you've developed or created it's you have uh, your own personal
5: list we, we we like we've done so much uh, myself the culinary team I work with have just been we all there's so much stuff that we've created over the years that we absolutely love some actually will never see the light of day um, it's just you know we keep the menu very small and focus and we do something and we just want to make sure it just gets people super excited something we just launched nationally was our chicken bites and that's something that has been um, a very fun process again you know we did have that moment we brought to our innovation location we we tested it amongst our guests and got some feedback made some tweaks and slowly started to bring them to more locations um that's just something really fun we we launched a chicken sandwich a few years back and we were always burgers before that so that was a huge moment chick shack's doing a fried chicken sandwich i wonder what that's like so it's kind of the evolution um and adding chicken to our menu and just doing fun things but while that was being rolled out you know there's countless other things you know myself everyone I work with on that team we're always just a bunch of food lovers we're always coming back with different ideas and uh, playing around um, there's stuff that we love but just you know to keep that menu focused, you know we just yeah. hold in our back pocket maybe we'll do it maybe we won't but uh
4: well to be to be continued to yes. see what's next yes. I know <laughs> I, I mean I'm I'm very impressed with Shake Shack and everything you've done in your role and the whole company I've always been a huge Danny fan like everyone, I think. So um, yeah. I'm glad you found your your home and and have have really excelled. It's, um, and I'm glad I've gotten to know you over the years, too. And I look forward to seeing you wherever is next.
5: Likewise, likewise. Um,
4: <laughs> and you do try out different burgers and stuff sometimes at these festivals.
5: Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's a great proving ground for us, too, to do new things. Anytime great. we do a bigger festival, maybe do something different.
4: Yeah. Well, yeah, that's cool. Well, congratulations. Thank you for coming on the show.
5: Thanks for having me on the show. It's been a lot of fun.
4: Thanks. So my guest today has been Mark Rosati. He is the culinary director at Shake Shack. And their website, which you can uh, find out all their locations around the world, you can go to ShakeShack.com, and you can also follow them on social media at Shake Shack and at Mark underscore rosati. You can follow me at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR at all industry, My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My websites are BayerPublicRelations.com and SherryBayer.com. You can find all of our shows archived at Heritage Radio network.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks to my engineer today, Amanda, and thanks again to Mark, and thank you all for joining us today. I'm Sherry Bayer. I'll be back next week with another live show. I hope you'll tune in then, and again, thanks for being part of All in the Industry.